I heard an interview many years ago of a very successful businessman in America who he, he was asked what, what made him successful, what got him going as a successful businessman. And he said it was in World War I. He was on, a, on his way with someone um, to a town, and then a soldier stopped him and said, asked them two questions. He said, who are you and where are you going? And he said, he just gave his name and he said, they're going to this town. But later that evening, he realized that it, there's something more to that, to the two questions. And he said, it's who, who am I? It's not just my name. It's about my identity. Who am I? And where am I going? I'm not just going to this town. Where am I going in life? And he said, he then realized the importance of the two questions. And he hired someone to ask him that once a month. He said he hired someone to say, who are you and where are you going? And I've, I, most of you know I've, I used to be a mental performance coach working with athletes. And, and I found so many guys finding their identity in rugby or in cricket or in what people tell them about themselves. And they become what they, what they think people say they are. You see, the question is, who are you? And where are you going? Now, if I ask people that, especially if in, in the sporting world, if I ask people, what do you want? They normally go to the end result. We want to win. <laughs> we want to have lots of money. We want, it's the stuff that they want to have that they want. So you get the stuff that you want to have here, but it's not sustainable. If you want good marks, you can go and steal a paper, can't you, the, from the lecturer's room. Or you can, if you want lots of money, you can play the lotto and you win the money, but it's never sustainable. You can go and see, most lotto winners go bankrupt within three years because it's not sustainable. So the stuff that we want, the stuff that we want to have is just here. But there's a step before that, that you have to sometimes do certain things before you can have. If you want, to go, you want good marks, you have to learn, then you get good marks. Or you have to work, then you get money, right? But even that is not always sustainable because you can do certain things and then you get sick. You learn hard and then you get sick and you don't get the marks. Or let's say you manufacture wooden, wooden desks and suddenly they start making plastic desks and, and then you're stuffed. So... The do is not always the, the, uh, what you have, because there's a step before that. And the step is who you are, who you need to be. Because, and that's the part that you need to work on. That's the part that we need to develop, because that's the part that no one can take away from you. They can, they can, you can get fired in your job to do what you have to do. And you can, they can take away your stuff, the stuff that you have. But no one can ever take away who you are, especially who you are in Christ. So if you, and that's the part that you can develop. You guys that are studying, if you get a degree and you apply for the job, will, will that degree get you the job? No, it'll just qualify you for the job. Because once you get the degree, so you work hard and you get the degree and you expect to get a job immediately, but that will just qualify you for the job because the, the, what will get you the job? Who you are. 
how you deport yourself, and no one can take that away from you. There will be 50 other people with the same degree applying for that job, and that won't guarantee you the job. So we need to work on who you are and what you do, and that's where we go. And now, who you are is important because that will determine what you do and that will determine what you have and the life that you will live. Now, as Christians, that's even more important. Who are you in Christ? You see, the athletes I worked with, I, my experience is sometimes they exceed their expectations, but hardly ever their beliefs. What you believe is about yourself, you will live up to that belief. And I, I know, I'm talking about experience. I, you, most of you know my testimony. I grew up without a father and just with low, very low self-esteem because the teachers told us, told me as a person, my mom worked on the mines, that I will never amount to anything, that, I will never, uh, that I'm not clever enough. The only thing I'm good at is hitting balls. So I don't even need to try to study. And I believe that. And you live up to your beliefs. You always live up to your beliefs. And we, so we end up believing, having an identity of what people tell us and what circumstances tell us or what we just find about, our, uh, about ourselves. And if you think that doesn't have an influence, you can, you can look around people in your lives. There's a guy called Viktor Serebriakov. You can Google him. He's a guy that moved, uh, that, that came, uh, that's from Russian descent. He moved, his family moved to the USA. And Viktor Serebriakov grew up, and it's probably because of the language barrier, etc., he grew up and the teachers called him a dunce. Now, in South Africa, we don't use dunce that much, but it's a, it used to be the guy standing in the corner with a pointed hat, and that's the stupid guy in the class. And he grew up as a dunce, and teachers told him he's a dunce. And, he, and after school, he, he left school early, and he just hung around, did a couple of manual jobs, and then he ended up in the army. And for some other reason, they did an IQ test, and he tested 152 on the IQ test. He's a genius. And they called him in. They thought he, he cheated on the test. And they had him redo the test, and he tested 152 again. And they asked him and said, why do you act like this? Why are you in this job? You're not a dance man. You're a genius. And suddenly, in one, one day, this guy, when he looked in the mirror, he didn't see a dance anymore. He, he saw a genius. And he started dressing that genius and took that genius to work. He ended up being the, the, the chairman of the Mesa Society where you have to have an IQ of 140 to get in. He wrote many books, and you can Google this guy. And one sentence changed his life to someone telling him, he's not a dance, he's a genius. And he believed it. Now, what do you believe about yourself? You see, we, we end up believing what people tell us, and we need to get back to the Word. And Kala challenged us to start reading the Word. And the problem is, we start reading stuff about the Word of God. And we read devotions, and we read stuff, and that's interpretations of the Word. That's not the Word. Everything I said outside, that I say this morning, outside the actual Scripture, is an, inter is an interpretation. And I prayed, and I prayed that the Holy Spirit will guide me, but it's still interpretation. So if you read a devotion about something, and there's one verse, then it's this person's interpretation. And, and many times it's useful, but it's mostly stories that they add a scripture to. 
So it's time that we come back in the Word of God and we start reading the, what, the, what God says. So if you, if you buy an appliance and you want to know about how the appliance works, you look at the, the manual, don't you? The manufacturer's manual. You don't ask someone else to just guide you. They might know some of it, but you, you need to go get to the manual, and there you'll see the true thing. And we need to go back to our Creator to see what God tells us about us and what God say about me. And we need to start believing what God says about me, who I am and what I can do and how I should function, and not what people or the world or anything expect of me. So we need to study the true thing. And you know, you must have heard it, if, if the guys studying counterfeit notes, the, the false notes, they don't study the false notes and see what's coming up. The experts study the true note. They, they become experts in what is a, a true money note looks like. Every single little detail. So that when the, they see a false one, they realize, no, this is not it. This is not the real thing. But if you keep on studying the false ones, there's just a new one coming up all the time. So you need to study the, the real thing for you to re know the real thing. Now, yeah, I brought a picture along that just to... To, before we dive into the word, just to show, if you look at that little train, this is, um, that's not, there's the train. Right, if you look at a train, if you, especially the old trains, not the electrical ones, if you get the locomotive, that's the only part that can, draw, that can pull the train. None, the, then you get the coal truck just behind it. The coal truck just carries the coals. And the coals are used to put in the, in the, in the locom locomotive so that the locomotive can pull the train. And any other truck, whether it's passenger or whatever, there at the back, that's just along for the ride. That can never, ever pull the train. But now if we make it applicable to life then, or to the Bible, then first of all, we go to the, the we say the, the locomotive. That's the fact. That's the Word of God. That's what's true. That's what the only thing that can, can carry our lives, that can pull our lives, that can sustain our lives. The, the next truck is, that's our faith. Now, sometimes we want to, we, we want to live by faith, but we, faith is not what gets you, you get your life going. Faith is faith in God. It's the faith in God, the faith in God's word, the faith in the fact. So the moment, how do you exercise faith? You believe what God says. So, the mo so what is it? how does it work? You put coals into the locomotive, into the fact. And the moment you put coals into the locomotive, the fact, what happens? The train starts running faster. And the, uh, any other track is just the feeling, the circumstances. But so many times we try to let the feeling pull our train. We, I don't feel like reading. I don't feel like praying. I'm flying against the ceiling. And we let feeling run our lives. We let circumstances run our lives instead of putting faith in them. That's where we need to start believing what God says about me, not the way I feel about myself, not what people tells me about myself. That, that I need to take this feeling, and how do I exercise faith? I take coals. I say, Lord, I believe what you say about me, and I put it in the, in, in the locomotive, in the fact that of what God says and that moment, the train starts running. And the, when the train starts running, it's easier to put more coals. It's easier to exercise my faith. And then the feeling will come. The feeling doesn't start there. So if we start going to the Word, and this morning 
I'm, we're going to just look at Scripture. Because that's what God says about us. And we start with John 3.16, the famous verse that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not have perish but have eternal life. And just before we do the verse 17, God loves you. Whether you experience it or not, that's the feeling. God loves you. God loves you. doesn't matter what you feel about it, whether you believe it or not. God loves you. That's the fact of the, of, of the train. And then it goes on in verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so God made the, the first step. He took the first step. He loves us. He loves you. And he took the first step. We read in Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to become good. You don't have to feel good. You don't have to run it by feeling. You have to trust God. While we were still sinners, Christ, saved, Christ died for us. He did it. We must just believe it. We must just put it in there. And then we read in, in John 1 verse 12, All who received him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that cool? So if you believe him, if you believe the fact that he says you, that if you believe him, you become his children. We read in Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. So what's the first, the first um, belief that we can, can hold on to this morning? Is to say, I am a child of God. Be through faith. So if you, can, if, you, if you agree with that, you can say it with me. I am a child of God. Right, that's, and that's how we affirm it. That's how you put faith in it, just to say it. And, whether you, and it's not how you feel at that moment. Whether there's some circumstances, I don't feel like a child of God today. You go to the fact, because Christ said, God says, if you believe in him, then you're his child. So then you can say, I'm, his I'm, I'm a child of God. That's, that's affirmation. I'm a child of God. And the, way, the moment you do that, it's like, putting coals in the truck, and it starts running. Lord, I trust you. I, even if I don't feel like it, I believe I'm your child. We go on to John 10 verse 10, where it says, the, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus talking, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Now, we tend to, when we read something like that, we tend to look at other people and think they have more. We don't always have life to the full. And I heard someone say that the highest call for every child is of God is to enjoy God and the life that he gives you. Now, the moment we go to joy in Christ, have joy, we sort of tend, especially if you grew up like I did in a more conservative church, then it's like, these holy moments, you're not allowed to laugh. You're not allowed to enjoy. You're not allowed to, to have joy. And what, what does God say? He wants us to have life in full. And that's that enjoyment to say with God. That's what God has in, 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 a plan for you. And why we, we are called to that? Because we are new people in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. 
So I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. So you can say with me, I'm a new creation. Let's hear it, Dan. I'm a new creation. So it's not just a new person. I'm new. So the old is gone. Whatever you feel about yourself, if Christ says you're new, we, still, we need to start believing it. We read, we read in 1 John 5, verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to our, His will, He hears us. So if we, we said we're His child, we're a new creation, we're new in Him, and now it says He hears us. So I can say, God hears my prayers. God hears my prayers. And that's whether I feel it or not, whether I, I doubt, is God really listening to me? That's what God says. He hears our prayers. And so we need to affirm that. And the moment we say, God, it seems like you're not listening at the moment, but I know you tell us that you hear our prayers. And then, then what do we do? We put coals in the truck, and then it starts running. And before you know it, then you start praying more. Because if you say, God's not listening, will you pray? You'll sort of half-heartedly pray. But the moment you say, God's, God's listening to me, then it's easier to pray. We read in Romans 8 verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, those who were called according to His purpose. So everything will work together for our good. From a young age, I used to tell my children, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Because God says, everything will work together for my good. So if I look at the feelings, if I look at what's happening in my life maybe, at circumstances, then I might have doubts. But then I need to go and put the coals in the truck. And what does God say? Everything will work out fine. Everything will be together for my good. We read, but if I struggle, and maybe I go to, yeah, but I'm struggling with this in, in my life. And I, maybe this temptation. Then we go to 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. That says, no temptation have overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, what, what we all go through. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, He will always also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So I can say, I can resist any temptation. And even if you fall, even if you think I can't, and how many times do I hear people say, Lord, take this away from me. I just can't handle this. Why don't you help me to stop this? Instead of saying, God, you said with, with, uh, I, can, I can resist any temptation. There won't be any temptation that I won't be able to resist. And the moment, and even if you, if you don't believe it at that moment, that's your feeling. Then you need to go to God's, the, what God says about it. He says, no temptation that's bigger than you can handle will come across your way. And even if you feel like that, then we need to put our, our trust in God again. We read in Philippians 4 verse 19, And my God will meet all my needs, all your needs, according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. God provides in my needs. And now, my wife and I can testify through so many times where 
we started with absolutely nothing. And where God carried us through in times that I studied full time. And eventually I, st- I started believing I can study. And, that's it. and at times that we struggled. And even when we moved here, we, God called us from a very, very cozy, cozy time, um, uh, life in Bloemfontein to here. To, and that we had to trust Him for everything. And that the moment you do, you can say, God provides in all my needs. And whether you feel like that at no moment, whether you see it at the moment, doesn't really matter. Trust, put your trust in what God says. He will provide in all your needs. We read, read in Romans 8 verse 35, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword and verse 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one and nothing can separate me from God's love. Nothing. Nothing. And when you look at circumstances, if you look at country, if you look at the corruption and the load shedding, etc., then we think there's stuff that can, but there's nothing. And then we need to trust God and affirm what He says. Nothing can separate me from Christ's love. We read in Philippians 4 verse 13 that I can do all things through Christ that loves me. I can do all things that I can attempt all things, that I can do everything that because Jesus Christ gives me strength. It's not my own strength. It's not that, that what Aidan said now, it's not I that the, uh, uh, me that did that. It's Christ in me and that we need to know I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. We read in Romans 6 verse 14, For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And we, so, we, we think of eternal life maybe there one day, but eternal life starts now if you're a Christian. It's now. We, we read in 1 John 5 verse 11 to 13, and, 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 and where it says, this is the testimony, and he, he so wanted to make sure that they understand it, that he repeated it a couple of times. He said, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. That's straightforward. God has given us eternal life. It's already there. And the life is in His Son. Then He wanted to make sure they understand it, and He just gives a negative. Whoever has the Son, has the Son of... uh, 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 Sorry, let me try again. Whoever has, has the Son, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God, does not have life. So he repeated it, and then he repeated it through a third time to make sure they understand, to say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So we can say, I have eternal life. That's something that we can affirm because God says, I have eternal life. Not because I feel like it, not because if you, if you sin and you think, oh, maybe I lost my life, the life now. God says, I have eternal life because I have the Son of God. And that's what He says. Nothing, nothing 
can tear me from God's hand. And now we can go on. We don't have the time. But we can go to John 10 that says nothing can take me from God's hand. We can go say, he that is in me is greater than he is that in the world. 1 John 4. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Matthew 5. No one can stand against me if God, if God is for me. Romans 8, 31. I'm more than a conqueror. Romans 8. I, God has blessed me with spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1. The same power that is in Christ, that raised Christ from the dead, is in me, Ephesians 1. And we can go on and on and on. And we need to get back in God's Word and to recognize what He says about me and to say, I affirm that because that's who I am in Christ. That is who I am in Christ. Because you know what? God has a purpose for you. We read in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know what thoughts I entertain concerning you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hopeful future. A hope and a future. And so, but you can easily say that that's Old Testament. But that's what God says about it. God has a future for us. We read in the New Testament, Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork, and He prepared something for you to do on this earth that only you can do. God has a purpose for me. That, uh, that I can say, that I can affirm God's word. God has a purpose for me. God has a purpose for you. Doesn't matter how you feel, then you're running, trying to run the train by, your, by circumstances or feelings again. We need to, to trust God. God has a purpose for you. And the, so what you think about yourself will determine what you do and what you'll have and where you'll be going. And if you start believing what God says about you as a Christian, then you will start living according to and do what God wants you to do so that you can fulfill the purpose God has for you. And we, that's what we need. And the moment we go get off that, and that's what happens, sometimes we get off the track and we go to the feelings because that's what's happening with, to us or, uh, around us. And then we just need to go there and get something like, stop it. That's not me. I'm what God says I am. I, 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 I'm... God says he'll be there for me in these circumstances. Whether I feel it or not, I can stop it immediately and say, stop it. That's not the, the, the right thinking. I need to affirm what God said about me. I'm his child. I'm saved. I can do all things through Christ, and I can go back to all these scriptures. And that's why we need to be in the Word, to hear what God says about me and do what God says about us and what he wants us to do so that so that it's not just do, 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 so that we can have, have, have. It's that we can be who God wants us to be, so that we can fulfill the purpose God has for us. So, saints, because God, Paul calls all the people saints, and sometimes we don't feel like saints, but you're called because God says you are holy in his sight if you have Jesus. Saints, go out. And be who God says you are. And be who you're supposed to be with God in your sight.